Hey everybody, Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development. This is part of our Veterans Stories Difference Makers. I'm delighted to have Sean Douglas here with us. Hi, Sean. How's it going, man? Great to have you with us, Veteran of the Air Force. Why don't you tell us about your motivation for joining the military? Uh, I joined actually the day after 9-11 happened. I was working a discount tire as a warehouse manager and 9-11 happened. I quit. Went and picked up my sister from school, told my mom, like, I'm going in because I always thought about going in. Both of my grandfathers fought in the Korean War. My dad was currently serving at the, in, um, you know, in the Air Force. Mm. And I said, I kind of want to because that's what that's what our family does. And 9-11 happened. I joined and I just retired after 20 years of service. Wow. Well, thank you for your service. and. Congratulations on making that. That's a long tenure to be in the military. It's worth it. Yeah. Tell us about your experiences and some of your deployments and things you learned during your time. The one major, major takeaway from what I learned is leaders build other leaders. Leaders mm. don't build followers. If you look at the current social media climate, Everybody is always about like, share, comment, follow me, follow me, like whatever. That's not what inspires people. You have to create something. You have to do something. You have to be somebody for someone to follow or make it worthwhile to follow. So there's a law called the law of buy-in and John Maxwell talks about it. Other people talk hmm. about it. It's the law of buy-in. It says people will buy into your vision first and into the leader second. Mm -hmm. So you have to buy into the vision because if you don't care about the vision, why would you buy into the leader? Right. Flip side of that, if I buy into the leader and I don't like his vision, then I'm not going to follow it anyways. Mm. So you buy into the vision and then buy into the leader. So there's that's kind of a watered down version of like the law of buy-in, but people always buy into your vision. So if you're on social media and you're always asking people to like, share, follow, comment, whatever, but it's not worth it to them, then they're not going to because they don't like your content or they just don't think that you're an inspiring leader. So create things and build up other leaders around you. And that is what it inspires people. That was my big takeaway from the military. Tell us about some of your experiences and deployments that have built that, that understanding. Yeah, I joined in 01, right? I said 2003 was our first deployment to Iraq in 2003 during the invasion. And that was the first taste. You know, I joined the Air Force. Everybody's like, oh, it's the chair force. Oh, you deployed to the local Ritz-Carlton. Yeah, you deploy to the local hotels. Maybe that was cool in the 80s and 90s, or maybe that's what other people think. But that was not the case. I slept in a tent for 228 days. So in Iraq, you know, we were deployed. Let's see. I've been deployed to some places I can't say, but places like Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, UAE and Qatar, you know, it's kind of like our, our Middle East holdover. You know, you go to UAE for a little bit and then you'll forward deploy to an undisclosed location. You'll 
deploy to Qatar, which is like the big kind of air force hub for everything. All the supplies come in there, all the airplanes come in there, like everything comes in there. Right. So we stage there, we'll fly missions out of there and then we'll forward deploy to like an undisclosed location again. Been to Bahrain, Kuwait. It was kind of a stopover in Kuwait, but uh, yeah, I've been deployed six, six or seven times. I think it's six times mm. over the years. Uh, our last one in 2017, that one was that one was pretty bad. That that wasn't a good one, but uh, I mean, there's been some great ones. I spent uh, 100 and. Uh, 190 days. I don't know, it was like six months or something like in Qatar. It was like the easiest deployment that I've ever done. You know, I mean, there's still fighting over there. So it's not like you're giving a weapon, but you know, we're just flying some missions and doing some things and dropping bombs and whatever. So yeah, man, uh, I've had great deployments and then I've had not so good deployments where you're given a weapon and uh, combat gear, like on the airplane and I've deployed with with weapons and gear. And before we even I'm like, where are we going? They're like, oh, we'll tell you when we get there. Like, what? Like, here's your weapon. Here's your vest. Here's your helmet. Here's your like, where are we going? So it's just, you know, you you just roll with it. You said that you the 2017 was the worst. Was that Afghanistan? No. Are you able to tell us something about it? Okay, so into not telling us the details of the where, but yeah, I can't tell you what? where, but I can tell you hmm. kind of like what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. So we were we were told. So I was at a strike unit, and uh, and it was right. So it was right around the time of like the Assad and like Syria, like all hmm. that stuff was happening. Hmm. So we were doing security and looking for people and dropping bombs and kind of that stuff like for the Syrian war hmm. and uh and not all of us came back so that's that's always uh that's that's always um it's just tough you know like you you know you hear about you know servicemen and women you know being killed in combat or you know even in like a motorcycle accident or you know just people that you served with you know died of like a heart attack like I was 18 and the guy was like 35 or 40 and he was retiring and we were together for like two years and then you hear, you know, 20 years later when I retire, like, oh, he just had a heart attack. I'm like, dang, like I knew that guy. No matter what, like it's always tough, but it's just it's tough. Not all of us coming back. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the same way that we left. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's tough. So, yeah, we were just, uh, you know, we were told to. You know, we were doing security and then, you know, we would convoy into different places and we were looking for certain people and yeah. So carrying all of that, you said you've just finished. I imagine that during your time of service, you would have had to deal with mm -hmm. the toughness of it because you said mm -hmm. it's tough many times. And so the toughness of that, how did you deal with that? And what were some of the consequences you had to work through? I dealt with it like every other service member deals with hard deployments and strained marriages and stuff. I drink all the time. <laughs> That's pretty much, pretty much what we do. Uh, it's different for each deployment. Some of them, like when I came back from Qatar, I was like, it was easy. Like it was fine. Like we had a good time 
<laughs> you know, like I had, I had fun, you know, I wasn't getting shot at, but, uh, you know, I came home and transitioned. I mean, each transition's a little different because your spouse is at home with the kids and she's kind of mm-hmm. ran the house or he, you know, I know, I know married women who have a husband that's not in the military. It's just, just a regular dude, but they've, they've ran the house. They, they have, they have run the household. And therefore, when you come back in and you say, Hey, we're going to do things this way. It doesn't quite work out. <laughs> and the kids get mad and they're like, well, mom, what well, was like, well, I'm back and I'm in charge. And it doesn't, doesn't usually work out, uh-huh. but there's other deployments where you come back and you feel like a piece of you has not come back all the way. Mm-hmm. And therefore I got into a really bad. Um, so like 2006 and seven was kind of tough. 2007 was a really bad deployment to Afghanistan. We were in Kandahar and Again, uh, there was a lot of attacks going on and a lot of people uh, were killed in combat. People that I knew, people that I didn't know, but it was a, it was, so what I did in from 2006, 2009 was I was ABDR, which was aircraft battle damage repair. We basically went and recovered shot down airplanes. If, if there were any or crashed airplanes, sometimes there was an airplane that had maybe crashed or we actually had an airplane crash into another airplane, like, like, like wow. there, uh, a base was under attack. And anyway, so an airplane crashed into another airplane with live missiles and all that. But anyway, we go out and we recover shot down airplanes and bodies. Uh, there was 2008. There was an F-22 that crashed into the mountains in Alaska. We went to go recover the airplane in the body and it was too frozen. So we actually had to wait until spring to come back and go re- retrieve the pilot. Wow. That's that that stuff is that's tough. Yeah, it's tough. So 2007, being deployed to Afghanistan was uh, was was not fun, and therefore, I drank a lot, like all the time, and we didn't really like we weren't taught resilient skills like we are now. Mental health wasn't a thing. PTSD wasn't like mainstream like it is now. 22 a day wasn't talked about mainstream like it is now. We're well aware of the effects now. Mm-hmm. 2006, 7, 8, 9, not so much. So I drank all the time. And then my wife and I filed for divorce. And that was the year that I tried to take my life. Wow. And then you're here now. So obviously some people, some things and you. Some people that I worked with who I, I mean, I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. I didn't Mm. feel like I was a part of the team. Like I just, I don't know, my whole life I always felt like an outsider. You know, I'm a middle child. So the younger kid always got baby. The older kid got everything. So there's that. And then you know, just being part of the team. Like it just always seemed like I was the youngest member of the team. So when I was in ABDR, I was the youngest ranking person there. I wasn't the youngest age person, 
But as far as as military service or uh, as far as rank goes, I was the lowest ranking person. And then in, from 2009 to 2013, I was one of the lowest ranking people again until more people came in and more instructors. Then we had like lower ranking guys and, you know, I kind of moved up, but I just, I don't know. It just seems like I was always the lowest ranking guy. And it just always felt like I was the outsider or I was never in the like good old boy system. You know, the military has, you know, the military definitely has a good old boy system. If you're not part of the good old boy system, you're pretty much left behind or you get crap assignments. So you, you know, it's all about who you know. In the military, it's all about who you know. If you want to get hooked up, it's all about who you know. It's always been like that. It's never on accomplishments, never on hard work. It's never on, I mean, maybe it has something to do with that, you know, qualifications. But for the most part, like you got to know somebody. If you want a cake assignment or you want to do something amazing in your career, you better know somebody. You better get some recommendations from some pretty higher up people. Otherwise, you're not getting, you're not going anywhere. Luckily, when I became a drill instructor, you had to have those high recommendations and some coworkers had, had kind of brought me out of what I was feeling and what I was doing. And they, and they saved me. So I went to talk to chaplains, which at the time I did, I was not a Christian. I walked away from the Catholic faith. I was like, this is a bunch of BS. There's no way this is absolutely true because if God is almighty and powerful, then who created God? And he can't just sit there in existence. Like somebody has to create something, you know, whatever. Right. There's not this alter, altered universe, whatever. You know what I mean? Like there was just so many questions and I was raised that you fear God and he's, you know, all powerful. And I was like, with like the wizard of Oz, I don't get it. You know, sit, stand and kneel. That's pretty much what you do in church. Time to kneel, time to pray, time to do Okay. We're out, you know, and then next week could do it again. So I was not, I walked away from, from all of that organized religion and God and everything. I was like, screw that. I don't need that. And my life was in shambles. And so I was talking to chaplains and I started to kind of develop a relationship with that like particular chaplain that we were talking to. We'd have heated debates, not like we're screaming at each other, but like, he, I was like, no, that's not true. This is what it did. You know, if it's on paper and this is what it says, this is what it says. You can't be like, well, what he meant there was no, that's not what he meant. No, it says it right here. Right. I I'm just, I'm, I, I take the, everything at face value. Everything is face value. Mm. Okay? I started talking to therapists, which I hated because my, my childhood was filled with domestic violence and, and alcoholism. And my mom and dad divorced, brought in this new guy and it was just, it was bad. So I spent some time in therapy as a kid for childhood abuse and watching my mom get beat up and my sister get, get abused. And I don't like therapists. So there's a saying in the military, a man's walking along thinking about his life being in shambles and he falls into a hole. A senior leader walks by and says, Hey man, how'd you get in that hole? And he hears the cries for help. And the, the, the man who fell in the hole, the soldier who fell in the hole He's like, I don't know. I just, I don't know how I got here, but I need help. And the senior leader says, dig deep, man. You got this. Just dig deep. <laughs> and so he did. And the soldier dug the hole deeper. He's crying out for help. And two therapists walk by. They pull up a chair and they say, hey, how did you get in this hole? He's like, I don't know. I don't know how I got in this hole. 
but I'm in this hole and I need help getting out. And they're like, well, how does that hole make you feel? After an hour, they fold up the chairs and they say, okay, we'll see you next week. A soldier is walking by, blessed, whistling at the morning. Here's the cries for help and looks down and says, hey, what are you doing? So I don't know. I don't know how I got down here. And he jumped in the hole. The first soldier that was in there goes, man, what are you doing? You're in, now you're in the hole with me. Like, great. Now we're both stuck. And he's like, no, no, no. I was already in this hole and I know how to get out. So it's your peers mm. that bring you out of the darkness, that dark mm -hmm. night of the soul. It's your mm -hmm. peers that you need to rest your head on their shoulders. It's your peers that bring you up or could tear you down, but they're supposed to bring you up. That's what happened to me. My peers, not my leaders, brought me up. Now, I did have some amazing mentors and some amazing leaders, but I also had not so good ones. And so I looked at that and I knew that real leadership is about building people up. Real mm -hmm. leadership is about building other leaders around you, teaching them how to become leaders of their own life, not building followers, not building, I mean, loyalty, yeah, but you need to have the buy-in for that vision. And sometimes we don't even buy into our own vision. We have a vision for our business we don't even buy into. It's a superficial vision. We don't even believe it ourselves. We tell people, I want my business to do this. I want it to be like that. I want to serve this person. And then when all the cameras are off and we're laying in bed and we're thinking about the next day's activities, we're talking to ourselves like, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. This, I don't even know why I bother. And then we wake up the next morning and we turn the cameras on and we say, hey, Facebook, my business is amazing. If you want to work with me. And then the camera shut off and we lay in bed at night and we say, this isn't working and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I've got bills to pay and I've got children to feed and I've got a spouse that's relying on me. And I know people who have cried themselves to sleep and the next day have turned on the cameras and said, my business is amazing. Come work with me. And this is what we're going to do. And then the camera shut off and they say, I suck and I can't do this. And it's all a show. Real leaders are about building other leaders and finding those that are struggling. And one other thing that I learned about the military and is great in business is accountability. Do you know how many more likes and shares that you'll get if you just say that your business sucks? I mean, yeah, people are going to be like, oh, I can work with you. I, I can help you. I can work with you and pay me thousands of dollars. And you know, you're not winning because you don't have a coach. That's what it is. You don't have a coach and therefore not true. Most of the time, they don't know what they don't know. But most of the time in the military and in business, it's about self-love and self-worth. It's about the value that you deliver to others. The greatest currency on this planet is the value that you give to other people. The end. Hmm. If you're not giving value to people, and I'm not talking about they paid for it. I'm talking about you're in a Facebook group and someone says, I have this problem and you gave your best stuff away. Most people won't even do that. Most people won't take the time to give away their best stuff to somebody or be like, hey, man, let's just talk for 10 minutes, man. I can help you. No, not only do you feel great because you help somebody, 
That person says, wow, what a great person. They spent 10 minutes with me. They didn't sell me anything. And you know what? I'm going to follow that person. I'm going to see what they have. Do you know how many more people I do business with because I don't sell to them? Everything on Facebook and all the ads, but you need to sell to everybody. Always be closing. ABC, always be closing. Do you know how many people on social media, if you asked out of 100 people, do you know how many people would be like, yeah, I hate it when I'm sold to and I didn't ask for it? Probably most of them. Most of them. <laughs> most of them. Yeah. Same thing in the military. When somebody gives unsolicited advice, <laughs> they shy away from it. Yeah. They shy away from it. So right now, so I retired back in December. It's March now for whoever's watching a year from now or 10 years from now. I retired after 20 years in December. And it, I mean, everything's exploded. Everything's been great. Uh, we haven't wanted for anything. Money has come in. I mean, it's, I'm absolutely, absolutely blessed. But I've taken the approach that I've talked about. I want people to buy into the vision, not to me. I want mm. people to buy into the vision mm. of what I want to create. Mm. And, and that's what I do. So tell us what you do do. I mean, I have a sense that. Ah, you said do do. <laughs> <laughs> so we are a positioning agency. The Success Core is a positioning agency. Positioning is everything. Positioning. Uh -huh. And this will tie back again. It'll, it just circles back into, into leadership. Positioning is how the marketplace receives and perceives the value that you deliver. That's what we define positioning as. Somebody else can define it as something else. That's great. But the success core is a positioning agency that creates uh, markets, launches, monetizes, whatever it is that you want to create. So we create, launch, and monetize podcasts, books, online and offline businesses, coaching programs, products, and services. Most of the failures of business is either capital or positioning. I mean, you could run a business into the ground. It could be a multi-million dollar business. Someone no experience could just run it into the ground. But most of the people who either start a business or are currently running a business are searching and searching and searching for clients all the time because they're not positioned. Most, if you ask people, I, I have a challenge for everybody. And I say this almost every day, definitely every week, go to social media on every single one of your social media platforms and say, Hey, we're thinking of rebranding and going over our business. You know, it's time, you know, it's been a couple of years. Every business should rebrand every five years. Period. The end. Every business. Update your logo. Update your website. Update your marketing. Everything. Everything needs to be rebranded, redone every five years. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you're just surveying your business. You're just taking an outside perspective and saying, how is it looking? What's it doing? Because when you're in it, you're in it. Like, you don't really see what's going on around you. You're just in it. So I tell everybody, I'm like, go to social media, ask them, what is it that you think that I do? And the responses will be astounding. Most people will say, well, you know what, Craig, like you're a podcaster. That's what you do. And you do some research on 
on some stuff. I don't, I don't really know what you research, but I mean, I can see your name and you, you research stuff, but, but you're a podcaster, but, but, but are you, but are you a podcaster or do you use the podcast to market your real business? And so, yes, I have a podcast, but that's not what I do. What I actually do is this. And then I use the podcast to market what I do. That's really what, I mean, unless you're making thousands and thousands of dollars from your radio show, like if you're like a Dan Bongino or like any show on Wondery, I think, or NPR, you know, some of the big networks like Joe Rogan, if you're Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan's business is podcasting. That, That is his business. Unless you're making thousands of dollars bringing in a healthy income, let's say five to 10,000 a month from your show. That is not what you do. That is not your business. That's unless you're getting paid to be a podcaster, that is not a business. That's more of marketing and a hobby. Most people, 90% of the podcasters do not make money. They just don't. Their show isn't positioned to do that. So Positioning is everything. It's how the marketplace receives and perceives the value that you deliver. So we'll create, for example, I'm a Christian now. And there's a show that we created called The Journey of a Christian Dad Podcast. It's hosted by Dan Lewigs. An amazing, amazing podcast. He just had uh, the guy from, uh, what's his name? John David Mann from Go-Giver. He just had him on the show talking about the go-giver marriage. So he created this new kind of the go-giver than the go-giver marriage. So he interviewed him on the show talking about how to have a Christian marriage and how dads need to act like a certain way and, you know, whatever. But the funny thing is he'll tell you dads, men are the spiritual leaders of the home and women need to follow. The end. And it, man, it gets a rise out of all these women. Like, no, I run the house. I run the house. Biblically, men are the spiritual leaders of the home. Not the leader of the home. They are the spiritual leader of the home. They're the one. Like, I make sure that everybody at my house, I don't care if you're a believer or not. When you have dinner at my house, we will say grace. We will say prayers. I make sure that when we are worshiping or, you know, spiritually together, praying, whatever, that everybody is involved because that's my job. My job isn't to make sure the kids get to school on time. It's me and my wife's job because we are the parents. So it gets confusing. We put oh, what the wife leads the house. She wears the pants, but good for her. But is she making sure everybody gets to church on time? Is she making sure that God is number one in your life? Is she no? Oh, Cause that's your job. It's the man's job. So that show is now a top 5% podcast within its first. I don't think it's hit a year yet. Maybe it's hit a year. Actually, yeah, I think it's been a year because we did over 50 episodes already. So in a year, it is a top 5% podcast. He just had Kyle McClellan on the show. Kyle McClellan was part of the 2011 World Series champion Cardinals. That's how popular the show is. He has sports stars, guys like John David Mann, I mean, Christian authors, amazing, amazing show. But we positioned it in such a way that Christian dads, right? Journey of a Christian dad. So we hit the niche. 
We hit the positioning where it's positioned for Christian dads. But then we say, okay, what's the message we want to deliver? And he, he sticks with the message. The message is that Christian dads need to behave or act or believe or whatever in a certain way, according to biblical principles. So he has 30 day challenges come up every once in a while. He'll say, Hey, we're doing a 30 day challenge on how to reconnect with your spouse biblically. Uh, we're going to, he just did one for fathers and, and their children. And it's not for like the mom, like this is something that a dad needs to do with their kids. Like one-on-one, you know, then he'll have a family, you know, 30 day challenge or, you know, whatever. Another show that, that we, we position, they weren't ranked at all. Really. They had quite a few thousand followers was, uh, was the hobby hustler podcast. And it's a side podcast and we're not working with that show anymore. They've, I mean, we accelerated their growth and now they've gone on and done amazing, amazing things. But if you, if you have a side hustle, if you have a nine to five job, but you want to start a side hustle or you have a side hustle, that's the show to listen to. It's called hobby hustler. And you know, we talk about how do we turn hobbies into actual businesses, actual sustainable side hustles. And I think he was, he was maybe top 10%. I mean, he was, he was there, he was charting, but he wasn't like at the top. We stopped working with him in January. We worked with all last year and repositioning and, and, and producing the show and editing. And so with the journey of a Christian podcast, we also edit, produce market. That's what we do. That show is now a 1% podcast. Hobby hustler is a one top 1% of all 2 million podcasts out there. And that's just what we do. So mm -hmm. if anybody was wanting to start a podcast, write a book, we create bestsellers all the time. That's, that's what we love to do because it's all about positioning and the message that you deliver. Mm -hmm. I don't care about you, the person. I care about the message that you're delivering, the content that you're delivering. So you're not a Joe Rogan. You're not a Tony Robbins. You're not a Brendan Burchard. You're not a Grant Cardone. They've built personal brands around themselves. But if you listen mm -hmm. to their message, it's positioned in a way that is true to who they are. It's like building a wrestling persona, like a wrestling character in like the WWE or like old school WCW. You know, they, they're building characters of themselves and then delivering that message, that promo, right? Yeah. That's what, so, that's what we do, the psychology of it. So, Sean, with this positioning, I just, just to circle back, do mm -hmm. a Jen Pisaki and circle back. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you were talking about being the middle child and being – in the air force and it seemed like you didn't understand your positioning mm -hmm. and the role you were playing mm -hmm. and you weren't quite caught caught onto a vision for who you were Would that be i have always felt as if i am destined to create the light bulb the car uh, -huh. uh interior foam that i don't know keeps your electric bill down 50%, you know I mean? Off the wall stuff, you know, uh, solar, I created solar panel. Like I just always believe that I am destined to create something that changes humanity. I've, I've always, when I was a little kid, I always, always felt like I'm going to, I'm going to create something. I'm going to invent something from fourth, fifth to sixth grade. I started shoveling snow. And then I took that money 
And then I would do like the lemonade stands and, you know, I would, I would, I would, uh, I actually had, I don't want to say my own landscape business, but like fourth and sixth grade, I would shovel snow in the winter, save up the money. And then what I would do is I would design people's landscaping. Like I would go pull their, pull their weeds and plant flowers, but I would, I would sketch out, you know, in like the most crude drawing ever. And I learned this from my aunt that every flower, like the height difference and, and the colors, like I, I wanted to landscape people's like flower beds and create like, like an oasis or whatever. You know what I mean? So I did that. And then when I got older, I would, I would buy and sell things and flip them. And it's just, I would do anything to make money so that I could do something bigger. Even my jobs, you know, I've worked in restaurants most of my, my, uh, up until 18. And then I got a job at like discount tire. And, but even then, you know, I got hired as a tire tech and then I moved up to a manager within like three or four months. I was already like the warehouse manager. I just unloaded the tires, but I would, I would set up the store in a way like what makes sense. I redid all their, like all the stock. I'm like, that tire doesn't go here. It goes up there because it's not really used. Our most used tires need to come down here so that people can just walk over, grab them. Why are they up there? You got to go all the way up the stairs or someone's got to throw them down. Like I was always trying to figure out the best, most proficient and efficient way to do something. And I built four businesses while in the military and I still have not felt like I created something worthwhile. One of our businesses with the 650K. And that's, that, that's, that's crazy to me. That's like crazy to build something as a side hustle and have it turn into almost a million dollar business. But I still feel like I haven't found my place. I still feel like I haven't like created something that, that is life changing, but eventually I will. I just don't know what it is yet. So you just have this drive within you. Mm-hmm this hunger within you to create this thing. You haven't found it yet. doesn't mean yeah. you failed, but you're still striving yeah. and pushing forward and driving yourself and what you're doing to discover that thing. Right. It's not, a, it's not bad to have that unsatiated desire inside you because it's not forcing you now to do negative and destructive things. You're, you're using that energy to create through other people right. and with other people, something that, that matters. Mm -hmm. And I think we might be doing that this year. But I just, I don't know yet. We have <laughs> some projects that we're working on. Uh -huh. Like we wrote a book last year called From No Worth to Self-Worth. Mm. And is absolutely amazing. Had a couple collaborative authors. We have a podcast coming out for that show. Uh, hopefully this month. But we also have some other projects in the work that should kind of like be the positivity that you're looking for online. Not sure if that's what the thing is, but I just always felt like even, even, you know, as a child, like I feel like I'm destined for something more than like, do I protect my younger sister and my older sister? Like what's my place? And even as a spouse, like what's my, like, what's my role? Do I just always make all the money and pay all the bills? And then the wife parents, the children and like she's a disciplinarian. Like where, like, what's my place? I've always even right now, I always like, what's my place in business? Where do I fall into the spectrum? What category? So I don't know. One day I'll find it. You're always thinking. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sean, I do want to thank you for your time and sharing so much of your story and your thoughts and and what you're doing now to create success with other people and through other people as well. So I do want to thank you again for your service, for your 20 years in the military and the tough times you went through and the fact that you actually pushed through them to be where you are now. I I just really admire what you've done and who you are and what you're doing. So thanks very much for being with us. If there's one thing, just to wrap up, quickly if there's one thing that you would say to the veteran or the military person who's having that tough time the dark time dark night of the soul what would you say to them i had businesses in the military and now i'm running them out of the military so i had something to fall back on most of them don't they want to get out i'm ready to retire they sit at home for three months and now they're like crap what do i do what do i do now i felt that 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 lonesomeness i felt unfulfilled i mean i've only been out for three months i don't know a month or two ago it was one day i i didn't have any appointments i didn't have anything scheduled i was like wow this is i just i feel lost i feel unfulfilled like it was just it it just hit me all at once like i just i don't i don't know what to do like i don't feel like i have a mission even though i'm still doing what i'm doing it's like wow what do i do so before you get out of the military, you must have a fallback plan or two and a new mission that drives you every day, mm-hmm. that gets you out of bed, that changes people's lives. Love it. That's, that's the number one tip that I recommend. The number one strategy is you, even if you're not in the military and, you, and you're just, you're feeling unfulfilled, find something. That will change lives. Find something that is your new mission that drives you every day. You can't wait to get up. You can't wait to meet the next person or do the next thing or take the next action that brings fulfillment to your life. And if you don't know what that is, that's great. Try a bunch of different things. Try a bunch. Doesn't matter. Good. You must find something that drives you and fulfills you every day. You have to fill your cup because you cannot give from an empty cup. Mm, you have right. to find something that fills up your cup so that you must give of the overflow of abundance from your cup. Hope that makes sense. It does. Sean, thank you very much for your thank time. You. really appreciate you. Please don't leave. Uh, I'd just like to wrap up and then have yep. a quick chat with you afterwards. Yep. Thank you very much to thank you very much. Thank you to those people that are watching the recording as well on our different platforms. Uh, thanks for being with us on Veteran Stories. We look forward to seeing you again on another one. <laughs>